It is great to be with you here this morning. It's, uh, I was at a church last week. It was also a Church of Christ in a, in a different country, of course. And uh, I always had a, a, the whole week I've had a man standing next to me. I'm not sure what he did, but he kept talking after I spoke as well, doing some kind of translation. But they let me go for over an hour last week, so we'll see what happens uh, this morning. But listen, I want to give you uh, uh, greetings. Uh, I've been, I spent a bit of time in uh, uh, Chiang Mai in Thailand with CK and Penny, and uh, they want to uh, give your, their thanks and uh, regards to you and, and the support that you've provided to them. Also, David and Sasi there in uh, Myanmar, with their family. They've got three children there as well and they also give their uh, thanks uh, that you're able to uh, take the time to send me to encourage and to support and to help them uh, with the work that they are doing there as well. So this morning after nine sermons on uh, this book of Ephesians we come here to uh, this uh, wonderful letter uh, to the church uh, at Ephesus uh, this letter, which tells us about grace. Grace that changes absolutely everything. Uh, to end this letter today, Paul tells us that, that we've got to wrestle, we've got to fight uh, evil in our lives as Christians. So he gives us this really practical uh, a guide and help and support about how we can do that. So let's stand firm today in the grace that God has given to each and every one of us. Let's pray. Our Father, help us this morning as we, we really need you to teach us. Teach us at this moment from your word. Your word is truth, and Jesus is truth. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was really encouraged to see uh, David and Sarsi and all the work that they're doing for the gospel in uh, Myanmar. And do you know how exactly I managed to get to Myanmar? I mean, actually, it was a total accident. I just woke up one morning and this, this taxi just shows up at my house. I get in, next thing I know, I'm on an aeroplane to Myanmar. When I get there, David is just back from this conference. And so he says, hey, come with me. And that's how I ended up ministering there for over a week. Would you believe that? Has that ever happened to you? <sighs> well, maybe it has happened to you, but it's never, ever happened to me. You know, my trip to Myanmar was no accident. It took uh, a lot of time. We've been planning for uh, nine months. Uh, there was a lot of work to do in preparation, in, in getting our plans ready so that we could do uh, God's work there. Otherwise, it just would never have happened. It would never have been effective. As uh, this book of Ephesians tells us, we're in Christ. But to you know, walk with Jesus every day is an intentional decision that each one of us make. You, know, you don't lead a godly life by accident. It happens on purpose. 
Looking back on this uh, book of Ephesians, uh, let me just uh, remind us of where we've been. Now, in the first three chapters, Paul tells us about uh, God's purpose uh, before he even created us. And uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we had become one united new humanity, united together under Jesus Christ. And, and God's kingdom, you know, is all about us being and looking very different from the world around us. You know, we should be different from the world around us, shouldn't we? And if we're not, then we're going to ask why. Because God's kingdom, you know, God's kingdom changes everything. You know, Jews and Gentiles all of a sudden became equals and they became one and they became united and there was no discrimination and there was no race war or, or there was no class war. Nothing to divide them. We're all seated together with Christ because of our identity with him. One family, one people under God. And then uh, Paul, he goes on in the next uh, uh, few chapters and, you know, based on this, he says, based on all of this that I've told you, you know, we are to live a life worthy of your calling as a Christian, worthy of your, this new position you have in Christ. God's reconciled community together, living together, living under God and living for him. Put away your past life, he says. Put away all those unclean, those bad, those wrong practices. You know, all that bad behaviour and, and addictions that you had. Put away, you know, all those, you know, being quick to criticise people and, and having all these bad intentions. Put it away. Live a life truly worthy, truly righteous, holy, Live a life like that. Live a godly life. Live like a person who's actually been saved by Jesus. Saved by God's grace. There's nothing more important than that. And then we come to uh, today's passage. Uh, Ephesians chapter 10 and verses uh, sorry, chapter 6, of course, and verses 10 to 24. And Paul here uh, really brings us down to earth. And he says, hey, guess what? You're going to face a little bit of opposition. Actually, you're going to face a lot of opposition. The devil. And Paul uh, mentions him uh, previously in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 and chapter 4 and verse 27. But he doesn't really explain anything about the devil because everybody knows what he means. And you see, the devil, he opposes God's people. That's you and me. These are unseen spiritual forces. And they want to stop us from living that kind of holy life, that new life. They want to drag us back to how we were living before. So how seriously do you take your Christian walk? Well, listen, Paul here takes it very seriously indeed. Because he says, you are in a battle. You're in a fight. You're in a wrestle. 
This is a war. And it's a war between good and evil. And you know, this battle, it's not against your neighbour, it's not against other religions, it's not against political parties. This is a battle against the devil, against all those evil spiritual forces in our world. And the front line of that battle, the very front line, is actually just your everyday Christian living. It's your everyday Christian conduct. It's your everyday Christian thinking. What happens up here in your head? That's the battle line. So as we do this, as we do it well, our life is just a wonderful display then of Christ's victory on the cross over the devil. But you, know, you see, the more we stand for Jesus in our lives, then the more evil is going to attack you. It's going to fight harder against you. So it's a good question, isn't it? Do I feel like I'm under attack? Do I feel like I'm in the conflict? I'm in the battle? Because if you're not, if you don't feel that way, well, what's happening in your life? We should feel like we're in the battle. We should feel like we're under attack. We should feel like I'm in a war against the evil one. So from this passage, we're going to look at how... How to overcome evil in our lives. To stand firm on God's grace. And we're going to do that by looking at the armour that God has given us in verses 10 to 17. And then the power of prayer, uh, verses 18 to 20. And then finally, Paul's final word in the last couple of verses there. So first of all, Paul tells us to stand firm in the Lord. By putting on the whole armour of God, which Jesus won for us on the cross. Now, this is, of course, he's not talking about really this physical armour. The physical armour is just a a symbol of actually uh, the spiritual armour, the spiritual things that he wants to highlight to us. And that is the truth of the gospel. So let's look at this spiritual armour for a moment, which actually the children did a whole lot better than I'm going to do right now. Maybe I shouldn't even do it because they did such a wonderful job, didn't they? And the children showed us, you know, you need to fasten on your belt of truth, the truth of the gospel. Do you understand? Do you know the truth of the gospel? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the truth. The Bible tells us That the word of God is truth. That God is the very source of all truth. Is that where we go to get the truth? So if you take Jesus away, truth is gone. God is the only standard by which truth can be seen. The only standard on which truth can be measured. Contrast that, you know, with the devil. 
Look at John chapter 8 and verse 44. Tells us that the devil is a liar and not only that, but the father of lies. See, stand on truth in your life. The truth of God, the truth of the gospel. That's what, you know, gets rid of darkness. That's what drives away evil. The belt of truth. Secondly, we've got here the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate of righteousness, that's the armour that protects all of the vital organs in the body. And this is, you know, this is God's declaration that we are righteous before him. Not because I in myself am righteous, but rather because I have Jesus' righteousness placed upon me. You see, the devil is going to accuse you. Are you really saved? Do you know how bad a person you really are? Would God honestly save you? The way you are, the thoughts that you go through. We remember, it's not my righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. And boy, is he righteous. He is perfect. And so the devil will always try to accuse us. But when we have the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness on it, we are secure in Christ. Because we are clothed. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And we must allow, we must um, be renewed in that each day ourselves. Remind ourselves, I have the righteousness of Jesus upon me. Not my own righteousness, but God's. And then we have the shoes, the readiness to bring, you know, the good news of the gospel of peace to people. Now these are long range shoes, they're not short range stuff. They're to spread the gospel everywhere. As Isaiah 52 and verse 7 says, How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace and salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. You see, we must know the gospel. And we must live out the gospel in our own lives. And we must be willing to tell others, to explain to other people the gospel as well. Because, you see, because the gospel brings answers. It brings answers to a broken world. And boy, do we have a broken world around us. And the gospel, it also brings peace. Peace with God. Which allows peace between one man and another. And peace with God is the answer to a warring world. Peace with God is the only thing that's going to bring peace between people. The only thing that will bring true peace, lasting peace. And for the people of Israel, for them to be reconciled and to, to have peace with the people of Palestine, they first have to be reconciled to God first. You see, the gospel brings peace. 
And then next we go on to the shield of faith. And this was the long Roman shield which covered the whole body and it protected the soldier from uh, flaming uh, arrows which were commonly used in those days. And so we have the shield of faith. Faith in the gospel. Faith in Jesus. Faith in God. And that's what quenches all those flaming darts that the evil one throws at us all the time. Those accusations of doubt, of, you know, you're just a person with evil desires. You know, faith and truth is really our security blanket when we are under heavy, heavy attack. And then we have the helmet of salvation. Now, for a soldier, the helmet is vital for survival because, you know, if you're hitting the head, then all the other armour that you have is going to be useless because you can be easily killed with a blow to the head. Our assurance that we are saved... Our assurance that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be with Christ in heaven. That is like a a bulletproof vest that we are wearing. It just defends us against anything that the evil devil will, will throw at us. Why don't we live that way? Knowing what my future is. Knowing that I'm going to heaven. Nothing in this world can touch me. Nothing the devil can do to me to take my head in off that course. And finally, we have the sword of the spirit. Now, this is the only offensive weapon that uh, Paul talks about here. The Bible, God's very written words to us, given, of course, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's take hold of it. You know, we should saturate our minds with God's word. We should chew over it and and ponder it and think about it and study it. And then we can uh, expose the lies of the devil. We can understand how we are to live before God. Jesus did that three times in the desert. He used the word of God itself against the evil one. You see, God's word trumps everything. And of course, uh, the sword was so important to a soldier that they were always very well trained in how to use their sword so they could defend themselves and also attack their enemy. And so the same is with us. We need to be trained well in, in how to properly use the word of God in our own lives so that we understand it. And we can use it as it's meant to be used. Remember, armor. This is Jesus' armor. And because it's Jesus' armor, it is impregnable. Because Jesus has already won the victory over Satan on the cross. You see, the gospel that rescued me is the same gospel that is going to protect me, same gospel that's, uh, that I'm going to be armed with for the battle of life. And you know, we are to stand on this. 
Paul says this four times in three verses, in verse 11, 13, and 14. See, this is an urgent call by him. Stand firm. Stand against. Stand firm. You know, it's like a soldier being told, stand firm. Don't give any ground. When you're under heavy attack, stand, soldier. No matter what. The victory is already yours. We're to stand firm on the truth of Jesus. We're to stand firm on the truth of the gospel. You know, we've got to remember that I'm not strong enough myself to do this. My strength comes from the Lord. Verse 10 tells us that, doesn't it? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of God's might. But, you know, we've got to take the initiative ourselves as well to be strong in the Lord. For example, uh, David in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6 uh, David had come home with his uh, soldiers from a battle and the Amalekites had burnt down their city and, and taken away all their women and children. And his men, they were just about ready to stone David. And then it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then, you know, this dramatic turnaround happened uh, by God's hand. You see, to strengthen yourself in the Lord. It's not a matter of letting go and letting God and it all depends on God. And on the other hand, it's not a matter of me gritting my teeth, doing it all myself and yeah, getting a little bit of help from God. No, it's a working together. God's power and my striving. As Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29, for this I toil struggling with his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so, let me remind you again, takes an intentional decision to wear this spiritual armour. This spiritual armour that God has given you. Now, you see, I could give you a beautiful, wonderful Hugo Boss suit or I could give you a Dior dress, but I can't make you put it on. You've got to choose to put it on. You'll never become godly by accident. You become godly on purpose. So let's choose Let's choose to put on God's armour, all of it, you know, not just some of it. We need to be doing that every single day. We need to be serious about our walk with Jesus. You know, have you ever thought that you know, going to church on a Sunday and uh, listening to the sermon, going to your life group and, and studying the Bible, going to that prayer meeting. It's like you are going to the armory. You are making sure that you have got God's armor on, that it is ready. 
You've got all of it. You've got as much ammunition. Your equipment is in top level shape. Actually, it should be growing as you get older. Then we move on to the next section, the power of prayer. Now, you can see this as uh, another weapon of uh, God's mighty armour, and uh, many people do do that. But Paul really spends quite a bit of time here talking about prayer So uh, compared to the other stuff he talks about. And so I see it as perhaps a, a little bit different, maybe in a category of its own. Anyway, here Paul, um, here's this man, you know? I mean, he's chained to a Roman soldier. He's got no freedom at all. And he's got this death sentence, you know, hanging over his head. What does a man like that say about prayer? Pray at all times. That's uh, one of Paul's uh, great remarks. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying because prayer reminds us of our need our dependency on God, our need for God's strength because our strength always fails so easily all the time. Now let me tell you a little bit about what my prayers tend to be like. I pray some of the time with some amount of prayer and with some degree of persistency and, and with some uh, about some of God's people. Now, if you change all of my sums for Paul's all, and you get something very different in this passage, don't you? You get this whole new dimension of prayer, really. You see, because praying in the Spirit, Spirit-filled prayer, and spirit-filled prayer, you know, that's when we pray according to God's will. Prayer, you see, isn't based on what I want, but it's based on what God wants for me. And that is so much better. And then it's, you know, it's focused on other people rather than on me. Paul says to pray for all of the saints, to pray for others. And prayer, prayer needs to be persistent. It's not just you know, a one-time prayer. It's a constant, continual communication with God. Between me and God. Because it's, it's a relationship. And lastly, prayer really, really depends on God. Not me. You know, it's not just a routine, you know, tick the box, I prayed today. When I pray, I really express to God, I need you desperately, Lord. I need you to change this messed up world. I need you to change my messed up life. And the messed up life of other people too. It's our dependency on God. Now, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, you know, Paul here is not talking about praying in tongues. In a way that is guided by the Holy Spirit. 
that is strengthened by the Holy Spirit. For example, in in, uh, Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 26, it says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever prayed like that? See, praying in the Spirit means praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Praying, and as I pray, I'm being led by the Spirit. And I pray in accordance with the Spirit's will, not my own. And then, you know, in verse 19, Paul, um, he begs them to pray for him. So what does this, you know, great spiritual leader, Paul, what does he ask for? Does he ask for, you know, freedom from uh, being in jail, uh, freedom from this uh, death sentence? Uh, Because that's definitely what I'd ask for, that's for sure. Actually, Paul does ask for freedom, but not from jail, interestingly enough. He asks for the freedom to be able to preach the gospel. And he wants just two things. He wants to be given the right words and he wants to be given the boldness to do it as well. Paul asks for good, clear communication so that when he tells people the gospel, they understand it so they're able to respond to it well. And he asks for boldness, to courage to tell people the gospel. You know, everybody should have the opportunity to to hear about Jesus. Everyone should have that opportunity. And, you know, I don't want to get in the way of that because what I say is people can't understand it or I just don't have the courage to tell them when I should. So let's pray. Let's pray that God would give us No, just simple words and the courage to say them. As Sam encouraged us earlier to perhaps use that leaflet to tell people walking by our church the good news about Jesus. And now we come to Paul's final words and he ends... This letter, just like he ends uh, most of his letters, you know, he gives a personal greeting and then a benediction, a blessing of the people that he's sending the letter to. I've only got a couple of moments here, so uh, let me just say a couple of words about grace and peace because that's also how Paul starts the letter as well. You see, peace is Jesus' greatest achievement. We're now reconciled with God. We have peace with God. We're reconciled with one another because of that. That's why we're all here today. United as one under Jesus. And grace. You know, grace grace is how God does it. Grace belongs to all of us. Who love Jesus. God's grace. You know, we live in harmony with one another. We live at peace with one another because 
We all love God. And because we love God, we love each other as well. And that's all able to happen because of God's grace that he freely has given to us and very undeserved by me. You see, only God's grace could make, I think, a dream like that come true. So now we've come to uh, the end of the book of Ephesians. And I want to challenge you a bit here. Now, why don't you take some time this week to read through again the whole book of Ephesians. It's not that long, actually. And as you read it, you know, maybe you rediscover some of the great teaching that you've heard over the past 10 weeks. And, you know, after you've reflected on it for a little while, and why don't you commit yourself to putting it into action in your own heart, in your own life. Live each day knowing the gospel. Live each day by the gospel. And live each day telling other people about the gospel as well. You know, don't just live like everybody else around you lives. You know, live like a person, like, like someone who has been really changed by Jesus. Live in God's grace each day by putting on God's armour in your life. Let me pray. Father God, we just uh, think of your words to, to be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power to put on the full armour of God so that we can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. We've all got different areas of temptation in our lives, Lord, and areas that we all struggle with. So help us at this moment to remember, to remember your armour the gospel of salvation, the gospel of grace that has won victory over Satan for us. We have it through Jesus, so help us now to use each day that you have blessed us with to, to really have victory over sin in our lives so, so that we can remember that you won it for us. Help us to live today in the truth of the gospel that we can stand secure and grow to maturity in Jesus Christ. Secure in Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection, secure in his strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.